Welcome to our Pentecost Sunday Sermon, Direct Deposit, the Holy Spirit's Witness, Work, and Wisdom. Per section, Traitors, What's Wrong with the World? Someone has described the Holy Spirit as that still small voice that makes you feel still smaller. While convicting of sin is just one aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the starting point in turning wayward sinners back toward the cross, realizing we need a Savior. Jesus said in John 16:9, the Holy Spirit convicts the world in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. <clears throat> At its root, sin is a failure to trust in God, a refusal to be committed and loyal to our Creator and Redeemer. Without faith, we won't get to first base in a relationship with God. John MacArthur notes that not believing in Jesus as Messiah and Son of God, quote, is the only sin, ultimately, that damns people to hell. All men are depraved, cursed by their violation of God's law, and sinful by nature. What ultimately damns them to hell is their unwillingness to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. This past Wednesday saw a significant ruling made in the case of a high-profile international business executive. Meng Wanzhou is chief financial officer of Huawei and daughter of its billionaire founder. She is charged with fraud in the United States for allegedly deceiving banks into a possible violation of American economic sanctions against Iran. On Wednesday, a B.C. Supreme Court judge ruled that extradition proceedings against the accused should go ahead. The case is being watched rather nervously, because China has targeted Canadian canola and meat exports following her arrest and imprisoned two Canadians that were living and working in China. Fraud is serious because you're basically lying to someone in order to take advantage of them. It's treacherous, treasonous. You're being a traitor to the relationship. There is a fundamental breach of trust. So conviction of sin is unbelief, failure or refusal to trust, is an essential part of the work of the Holy Spirit. In John 16:8, Jesus outlines three aspects of the Spirit's work. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. When we wonder, what's wrong with the world? These are key. Guilt is at the base of what's wrong with the world. Yes, even though society is soaked in relativism and many people loathe absolutes, there is still such a thing as real guilt. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, Romans 3.23. We have this nagging in our conscience, and we can never do enough to make up for our moral messes. Over the centuries, people have constructed religious systems and sacrificed to various gods, but the sin stains remained, and our operational bentness was unchanged. We kept on selfishly cheating and shortchanging others and became corrupt, even in our governing institutions. So a beginning task of God's Spirit in drawing us to Himself is to convict us, prove us wrong, make us conscious of our faults, prompting us to call out for help in desperation. Jesus breaks down this guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment, verse 8. We already talked about sin as unbelief in Jesus, verse 9. Failure to trust, 
rejection of the God to whom we owe everything, cobbling together intellectual superiority like the legalistic Pharisees, whose hypocrisy Jesus verbally exposed. Their religiosity was a sham. A little bit of sin plugs up the whole system. One tiny piece of dirt in the carburetor can keep the most powerful truck from climbing a mountain road. A rather small impurity, but all important in making the ascent. Recently I hauled the rototiller out of the shed to cultivate a flower garden Patty and I were replanting. Mostly Patty, to be honest. Checked the gas, set the choke, tried a few pulls, nothing doing. Took out the spark plug, cranked it, no spark. Tried a different spark plug that had recently been working in the push mower, no spark. Off to the handy repair service across the road, he concurred, no spark. Took it apart, installed a new set of points in the ignition system, and it's been working fine since. Without belief in Jesus, we're like that tiller motor, dead, spiritually speaking. The old system within has become corrupted. The Holy Spirit needs to come inside and install new points to bring us to life, to give us spiritual spark. Second, Jesus says, the counselor needs to convict the world in regard to righteousness. Verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus is a walking definition of righteousness. He is the righteous one. Acts 3.14, 7.52, and 22.14. The apostles were that's referring to Jesus habitually as the righteous one. When he ascended to the Father, that living definition was no longer available for consultation on earth. He is our central reference point. We get our bearings from him. Without Jesus as our standard, selfishness sets in. Governments become corrupt. Families fall apart as faithfulness disintegrates. What's wrong with the world? We've lost our moral bearings. The new morality has spawned orphan delinquents. Jesus' enemies used an unjust human tribunal to convict him of blasphemy, but by his resurrection from the dead, God vindicated him, proved Jesus to be right after all. This world's concept of righteousness will always be off-kilter. We're always comparing ourselves on a human level, constructing conventions by which to prove to our neighbors we're at least as good as they are, and pride blinds us to other faults. We need God's brand of righteousness, Romans 3.21 for him. But now righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. When you look through green sunglasses, how does everything look? Everything's green. If pink lenses, everything looks pink. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior, God looks at us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees us in all the white holiness of His Son. Our sins are imputed to the account of Christ and his righteousness to our account. Third, Jesus says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt in regard to judgment. Verse 11, And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus' crucifixion seemed at first to be Satan's triumph over God's Son, but God turned it around by raising and exalting Jesus. Matthew 28, 18. 
And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Earlier Jesus stated in John 12:31, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The accuser has been defeated and is destined for the lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 20.10 What's wrong with the world? Guilt connected to sin and righteousness and judgment. Apart from God, we are spiritual rebels, fundamentally off-base morally, attacking and competing with each other. We need the Helper's conviction to wake us up and turn us around, open our eyes. It's been written that the Times once sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, What's wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton wrote back and responded simply, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. Next section, Transmission, Unwarp Your Worldview. The counselor convicts us of our treason and helps us get turned around, back on track. The Spirit next outfits us with a new attitude, a new mindset, a new approach to life, because He is the Spirit of Truth. It's through the Holy Spirit that we become transformed through the renewing of our mind. Romans 12.2 Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's through reading our Bibles, divinely inspired, God-breathed truth, that we can break free from the handcuffs of the world's pattern and begin to understand God's will, learn real wisdom. Look closely at John 16:13 forward. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. He guides us into all truth. He will tell you, declare to you the coming things, likely not just a calendar of future events, but all that God would show the apostles when they were prompted to write the materials that make up the New Testament. In 4.25, the same Greek word is translated explain, Bible in basic English, make clear. Today we might say, Unpack. The Holy Spirit is our interpreter as we read the scripture he inspired. Who better than to have the author coaching you? Verse 14. He glorifies Jesus by taking what belongs to Jesus and making it known to us. Make it clear, BBE. I like how the Apostle Peter describes the process of inspiration in his second letter to the church, 2 Peter 1.20 forward. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture writers were not making this stuff up. God's very Spirit was carrying them along, showing them vital truth as they wrote. When we become a Christian, our worldview changes as we begin to let the Spirit's truth through the Bible, soak into us. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias, who recently died of cancer, used to emphasize any worldview worth its salt had to answer four questions. Origin, destiny, meaning, and morality. Where did we come from? Where are we going? 
What's the meaning of life? It's purpose. Why are we here? And morality. What's right and wrong? Culture is adrift without the truth of the Bible. Science can tell you some limited hows, but not the whys. Naturalism has nothing to say about morality. It boils down to, if it feels good, do it, regardless of consequences to others. The New Testament, transmitted through the agency of the Holy Spirit, is so essential in finding a positive, hopeful, meaningful worldview that we can live by. Dr. Doran Edwards, a surgeon in Tennessee, tells of a patient of his, Blanche Bennett, whose alcoholic husband had died. Her two children were giving her problems, finances were tight, and life was very hard. She wasn't a Christian. One day she came to see Dr. Edwards with physical problems, and he diagnosed cancer with multiple organs involved. No treatment was available, and she was very bitter. Dr. Edwards, a Christian and a Gideon, wanted to talk with her about the Lord, but she wouldn't allow him to share his witness. She did, however, accept a small New Testament. A few weeks later, the doctor learned from the newspaper obituary that she had died. He sent a card to the family telling them he had donated Bibles in her memory to the Gideons. The woman's daughter called him. She asked, Could you please send us a Bible like the one you donated in memory of our mother? We don't have a Bible in our home. The last six days she was alive, her whole life changed. She was no longer bitter. She wasn't afraid to die, and she said something about knowing Jesus. But she asked that her Bible be buried in her hand, and we couldn't keep it. Would you please send us a Bible so that we can find what Mama found in that book? Indeed, Dr. Edwards sent them a Bible, and afterwards the daughter, the son, and one sister have been saved as a result. Next section. Testify. Who's your subject? The Spirit turns us around so we're no longer traitors. He transmits God's truth to us, transforming our worldview. And the Spirit empowers us to testify, to become witnesses for Jesus, sharing the wonders of who He is and what He's done for us. See John fifteen twenty six for where Jesus is speaking. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. At the end of the 40 days after the resurrection, when Jesus was about to ascend to the Father, what were his parting words in Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We do not just receive the Holy Spirit to get warm fuzzies, or for some kind of emotional high we can keep to ourselves. The Spirit's power pushes us out beyond our comfort zones to care for other people enough to witness to them, to testify, to tell how God has had mercy on us. A little sidebar here. Somebody was asking me recently about the Trinity, God being three in one, a tri-unity. There are classic explanations in the creeds and catechisms which are useful to a point. But eventually you're dealing with the mystery of God and our clumsy, delimited human words fail us. There are analogies, three states of water, leaves on a clover, but don't push them to extremes. Best is to watch for the Trinity at work in Scripture, like at Jesus' baptism. Note the allusions to the Trinity in today's reading, verse 26. Who sends the Counselor? 
Jesus sends him from the Father, yet he goes out from the Father. And in 16.14, the Spirit brings glory to Jesus by taking from what is Jesus' and sharing it with believers. Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus says. They're inseparable. There's this ongoing sharing within the Trinity. There's community and loving right within God's self from even before creation came into being. The Father says, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Matthew 17.5 Jesus sends the Spirit. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. They're pointing to each other. So we're prompted to stop being selfish, pointing to ourselves, and point instead to the one who delivered us from sin and death. He becomes the subject of our sentences, the topic of our testimony. You also must testify. Does that sound like an option? No, it's a command, a must. If you're like me, you may suddenly become weak-kneed and lock-jawed at the thought of testifying, but it's meant to be kept simple. It doesn't mean you have to try and unload a theological dictionary on someone. Use relevant questions. Keep it simple. What difference has Jesus made in your life? Be like the man born blind in John 9, whose vision Jesus healed. When the Pharisees pressed him to term Christ a sinner for healing on the Sabbath, the man responded, John 9.25, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What's the one thing you know for sure how Jesus has impacted your life? You never know what the hook will be that catches the attention of a hungry soul. Yours might be the words God uses to convince them of their need of him. Kenora area Cole Forsyth was out doing a bit of bass fishing with his girlfriend this past week when he landed an 84-inch lake sturgeon. And he wasn't even intending that. He was fishing for bass. Quote, I was pretty taken aback. Definitely wasn't what I was expecting. Didn't really hit me what it was until it was swimming along boatside, kind of like a freshwater whale. <laughs> I guess, a seven-foot-long fish. Stop being intimidated about witnessing. Just pray and watch for God to open doors and use you. Some years back, theologian Norman Geisler wrote a candid article in which he admitted, I have a confession to me. I was a director for a Christian youth organization for three years, a pastor for nine years, a Bible college teacher for six years, and in all that time, I did not witness for Jesus Christ. I scarcely ever share my faith one-to-one with other people. Geisler offered several reasons for this. He didn't think he had the gift of evangelism. He felt instead his gift was that of teaching the word to those already Christians. He had read a book about evangelism and God's sovereignty that had turned away his zeal for personal evangelism. He had known someone who had practiced impersonal cold turkey evangelism, and Geisler had determined that lifestyle evangelism was more desirable. But as a result, he lived a Christian life, but seldom vocalized his witness to an unsaved person. Eventually, Geisler became convicted by the words of a little song that said, Lead me to some soul today, O teach me, Lord, just what to say. Say that again. Lead me to some soul today, O teach me, Lord, just what to say. 
Those words became a sincere prayer for him, and his life began to change. One day, having prayed that prayer, he was approached by a girl from the college where he taught. She had spiritual needs in her life, and he was able to lead her to Christ. She later went to South America as a missionary. Shortly afterward, Geisler volunteered to participate in a Monday night visitation program at his church. On his first outing, he found himself knocking on the door of a man who turned out to be an atheist. When the man came to the door, Geisler asked, Do you mind if we ask you a very serious spiritual question? After a long conversation and a couple of visits, the man prayed to receive Christ into his heart. He's now a deacon in a church with his family committed to Christ as well. Now, Geisler says, The most rewarding experiences I've had in my Christian life have not come from teaching, pastoring, or ministering around the world. They've come from meeting with non-Christians and seeing one after another choose to know Christ. Last section, from choose to use. To sum up, the Spirit convicts us of our guilt and turns us from treachery, rebelling against God. The Spirit of Truth then transmits God's wisdom to us, guiding us into all truth, transforming our worldview and thinking. And the Helper empowers us for witness to Jesus, moving us to testify of how God has had mercy on us. A short-lived poem by J.S. Baxter puts it this way, When God chooses, he cleanses. What God cleanses, he molds. What God molds, he fills. What God fills, he uses. Dare to be used by the Lord today. He wants you to know the blessing of bringing his saving truth to another person. Let's pray. Sovereign God, on this Pentecost Sunday, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would make us bolder. Um, help us, Lord, to be completely cleansed from unsavory thoughts, from our the ways of the world that would drag us down and make us selfish and just uh, cater to ourselves. Help us, Lord, to uh, let your truth be residing in us, flowing out through us, and turning our hearts to our neighbor to know how we can uh, point them to you and to testify of how wonderful your grace is to us, uh, how good you are, and uh, to introduce them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.